Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. On DAB+, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker. The Women's Football Show with Baker Others. It's a really, really good finish. I love goals like that on TalkSport 2. Hello, happy new week, you lovely lot. Loads of exclusive women's football content for you to get stuck into this season on Talk Sports Women's Football Show. We'll be here every week rounding up the best from the show in this podcast. Don't forget, you can also listen back to the full women's football show via the TalkSport app. This week we were on on Monday at 7pm, so swipe for TalkSport 2, find Monday, and you can listen in full then. So how are you doing after what was an absolutely bonkers and dramatic second round of WSL fixtures. I caught up with the Times football writer Molly Hudson on the show to round up all the action from the weekend. Let's start at the newly named Joey. Is it Joey or Joy? I'm never sure. Stadium. Uh, that's Manchester City's home, by the way, in case you're not up with the, the new naming rights, like I clearly am not. Um, Champions Chelsea were the visitors. It finished City 1-1. Chelsea won. Both sides, you'll remember, picked up three points in their opening matches and it was a massive game early on in terms of the top of the table. Took just seven minutes for Manchester City to open the scoring. Chloe Kelly shot just outside the box, helped on by a bit of a deflection off Jess Carter's boot. Uh, Chelsea had Sophie Ingalls shot saved on the line by Kiara Keating as well. But then the match took this really strange, dramatic twist, didn't it? City captain Alex Greenwood sent off on her 100th appearance for the club 10 minutes before half-time after picking up a second yellow card for time-wasting. Chloe Kelly, Jill Rod, and Leia Alexandri carded for dissent as well in that whole bit of action. Uh, City managed to help hold off Chelsea in the second half. Lauren James hitting the crossbar and then City reduced to nine players after Lauren Hempsall read in the 81st minute for a foul on her England teammate having picked up uh, a yellow card earlier on in the game also for dissent. Chelsea finally got the equaliser in the 96th minute. Guru Wrighton managed to nudge the ball home after a scramble in the box. They could have got the winner as well. Sam Kerr hitting the post in the dying seconds. Uh, Before we get Molly's thoughts, there was a lot to take in there. Let's hear from the City manager, Gareth Taylor. Talk Sports' Jeff Peters spoke to him after the game. I think it's a hard one to sum up. I think it's um, really hard to analyse. I don't enjoy those games. I think even when you're the team on the other end of of uh, the opposition getting red cards. It just changes everything. Game plans kind of go out the window a little bit. But I have to say, some of the things I saw from our players today was magnificent. As a team, the togetherness, the way they organised, the way we dealt with 
the threats, um, which I felt we dealt with really well between Kiara and the back line. And, but yeah, it just made it, uh, it made it a long and horrible afternoon, really, because I just feel that um, the referee was really keen on giving a yellow card out early in the game. It went to Chelsea player, Neve Charles, which I thought was soft. But then all of a sudden they feel they've got to be evening it up. It's this evening up process of yellow cards. And yeah, I just think um, for us, we just want to see consistency. You so, know, because if there's going to be some consistency this season, we're going to end up with like 8v8 games. So if we're doing it properly. Yeah. If we're doing it properly, we're going to have games this season, which will be eight against eight come the end of the game. And we might be playing for 120 minutes. So the second yellow card for Greenwood, time-wasting, is that what yeah. you've been told? Yeah, and I've been told it was 20, 23 seconds. I mean, that's normal. That's normal. When you're analysing, Alex is on the ball and she's thinking about which pass she wants to make. And she might change her mind. She might look to go back. She might look to go forward. She might look to go to the side. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think we're just going a little bit too far the other way at the moment in, in that respect. And there needs to be a bit more feel from the officials in, in that respect of, you know, that's we're not wasting time there with, what, 10, 15 minutes to go before halftime? A 1-0 up. We're not wasting time there. We're analysing the situation. And then all of a sudden she produces a yellow card and it changes everything. The big positive... That was a hell of a performance yeah. to finish with nine players. Yeah, magnificent, magnificent. It still sounds a bit crazy when you hear that, nine players. But I think, um, yeah, I have to give full credit to the to the girls in the way they handled the threats, uh, long balls, communication was top, top class. I think um, we're obviously disappointed that we just couldn't quite hold out. Unfortunately, we had Alana off of the pitch at the, at the moment they scored. But yeah, super proud of the players. You know, we'll do good things this season with that mentality. Huge mentality, you would say, to, to get through that match in that way, Molly. But it, it has been overshadowed by the refereeing decisions. Let's let's start talking about Alex Greenwood's uh, red card. We know, and the players know as well, that officials are cracking down on time-wasting in the league. They all signed up to the participant behaviour charter at the beginning of the season. But what did you make of Emily Heaslip's decision to, to send her off? I agree with, with Gareth Taylor, who I... I actually think spoke very well considering it would have been very easy to just be extremely angry um, at the final whistle of that game with, with the way everything played out. Um, I, I think there's a couple of things that are frustrating from, from kind of a, you know, a journalist's point of view, of a fan's point of view is, you know, how many times have we seen in the men's or women's game when a player is usually a goalkeeper is is about to be penalized for for time wasting there's there's almost always a warning isn't there there's almost always some sort of communication from the referee to the player to say look hurry up or you're going to get booked and you see that even more often with players that are already on a yellow card you know this is your last chance etc cetera, etc cetera. it just felt like there wasn't that at all we we went from Alex Greenwood being on a yellow card Clearly, as as Taylor explained there, looking for options, I don't think she necessarily even needed to time waste in that moment. She literally was going to go long. She saw the pass was, was blocked by a Chelsea player. She went to go short. And by the time all of that's happened, those those 23 seconds, or I think BBC was saying it was 26 seconds from the exact moment that the the free kick had been awarded, um, suddenly she's, she's been sent off. The, the game's balance has been completely changed um uh, and I think it's just frustrating because it was just it was just unnecessary and I think part of the issue is just 
this crackdown on time wasting. Like in a way, Emily Heaslip hasn't really done anything wrong in terms of the letter of the law. Um, it it is twenty six seconds time wasting. I mean, as far as I understand from from speaking to the PGMOL, these decisions are going to be made with the referee's discretion. So there was one in the Liverpool game. Um, Taylor Hines was booked for time wasting, and and the commentators on that game suggested that was only twenty seconds. So, uh, uh, firstly, I think it would help to have some sort of numerical point where at least we could say right okay, this is ridiculous, but you were over the, say, 20 seconds that you know you're allowed. And in that sense, at least there's some sort of barometer here, whereas it seems at the moment, uh, as, as Gareth Taylor said, and as also I think Emma Hayes has said in recent weeks, it's, it's that consistency that we're really lacking. How many players are, are going to end up getting booked, are going to end up getting sent off if you if you really do implement that on every occasion? Well, to be fair, if they're clamping down on it this early in the league, they're setting their stall out, aren't they? And so, you know, the participants, the players, are going to have to um, start thinking that they need to start a bit quicker. I mean, we see it in the Rugby World Cup, don't we? 30 seconds for the player, for the player to take a kick. Um, but I, I understand the numerical thing. And I think on reflection, Emily Heaslip will be sitting there and thinking that perhaps it was a little bit too hasty to, to show a, a player who was already on a yellow card you show a little bit of common sense perhaps with that but it is subjective and she didn't do anything wrong uh, as far as she was concerned Alex Greenwood was delaying the restart and you know the players have all been spoken to um, and we, we'll move on to to the Lauren Hemp yellow card quickly as well there because uh, again although she picked up because a lot of the Manchester City players actually picked up um, yellow cards for dissent and they all signed up to this participant behaviour charter whereby they knew and they, they wanted this as well. You know, they wouldn't have signed up to it and or the clubs if they if they didn't want to do this. The whole the whole point is, you know, to try and be a little bit more proactive, add less time onto the game with with all these conversations going on and the back chat and, you know, the the, the, the time wasting, etc. So I, I kind of think at least they're going to be, you know, they know what the standards are and so they're going to have to start adhering to it from now on. Yeah, I think I'm a bit torn on this because I think if, for, for, from our point of view as people that, you know, aren't current footballers, I think you say, right, they've they've signed this, they know what's coming, they've had this conversation in a, you know, in a classroom, a meeting room, whatever, to, to explain this. I think if a, if a current professional is sat here saying, well, we've just watched our teammate on a hundredth appearance for City in a game that they'd they were completely in control, a game that can define their season, and they've seen their teammate get sent off for something that they feel as though was was unjust, it was wrong, it was unfair. I think then knowing the rules of dissent and what you're supposed to behave like it is very different to knowing it when you're on a pitch in the heat of a moment when you feel as though the referee is mm. going against you. So, look, I think... I'm sh- I'm sure that Gareth Taylor or the Manchester City staff will have said at half-time, look, we, we can see Emily Heaslip it, it has got her yellow cards out. She set a precedent for what is a booking now. And obviously there's always going to be slight differences between each referee. But, you know, as as Taylor said quite clearly from early on in that game, it was clear any sort of dissent, you were going to get a yellow card, right? Which is perfectly in the rules. I'm sure he said to them then, don't appeal for things. I think one of the players, I, I can't even remember which one now, was literally just saying, like, disagreeing with 
with the, the referee awarding a corner. But tiny mm. little things like that, you know, you're going to get booked for that now. That's the new rules. And I think it is really easy to sit here, not on the pitch in the heat of a moment to criticise. But I think you, you just have mm. to try the best you can. And look, the irony is Alex Greenwood was their captain, their leader, the kind of person that, that is um, more responsible, more experienced in in that role, and you know she, she was sort of already on the pitch. So I think at that point it it just sort of turned into disarray, didn't it? And I think I I I messaged um, a couple of colleagues and I said, look, I would not be at all surprised if another player gets sent off here because that was just the way the precedent had already gone in the first half. Yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting and it's subjective, isn't it? And I and I do agree with Gareth Taylor in terms of consistency. But what I don't agree with is the reaction uh, to Emily Heaslip. She had to be escorted off uh, by security after the match. Uh, five yellow cards, two red, and a booking for Gareth Taylor for Man City. Um, Eleven cards she showed in, in total. Uh, let's hear what Chelsea boss Emma Hayes had to say. Poor start from us. That was clear. The you know the. I didn't like the way we began the game, but I thought we grew into the first half and I thought we finished the first half on top. Yes, the red card changes the game in terms of it's like it's an attack transition game. I think our final third play let us down today. Nonetheless, we scored in the 96th minute, showed our resilience, hit the bar a couple of times, hit the post, and I think for that reason it's a missed opportunity. What did you make of them going down to to 10 players obviously it, it, it benefits you in the game but an overall view on it I think the, I don't have one sorry I don't have one I, what I would say is um, we had two players on yellow cards at half time and I was really pleased with the discipline of our players on yellows to make sure they didn't give the official any opportunity to give them a second one was it a difficult afternoon of officiating? Would you describe it as that, perhaps? I think, for me, I'm thinking merely coaching. It was a difficult game to break down ten players and then it was a difficult game to break down nine players and I'm preoccupied with how to do that because everyone thinks that it's easy when you do it. In fact, I think City were galvanised. They had the crowd behind them. They blocked off the central areas. They forced us into out-of-corridor crosses. And I think by our standards, we have to do more. We have to do more. Um, but, yeah, that's my focus. And you finally got the ball over the line deep into Stompershop. It shows character that the players keep going. And you, yeah. you know that, of course, about this, uh, this, this group of players you've got. Yeah, we have that. Um, but we want to be more than that. And, you know, we are defending our title. And I think for any team coming up here, gaining a point, if you'd have asked me at the beginning of the game, I'd have took it. Really? OK. Yeah, I think this is the toughest place to come to um, for us, historically. I think we've drawn seven out of eight games here. We've got a 20% win rate up here. I for sure will take a point. Two games into the season, are you happy? I mean, I'm sure once I have a nice cup of tea in a minute, it will refresh me and I'll be happier than I was in the last 45 minutes, that's for sure. <laughs> I could do with one of them myself. It, it was an interesting performance from Chelsea again, wasn't it? And as Emma Hayes says, pleased pleased with a point ultimately. But I think she knows that against nine players, you know, all three should have been a, a given. What was it about this Chelsea performance that, that was lacking? Because they did hit the woodwork, the woodwork multiple times. 
I think it is in that final third. I think we we sort of forget now because Chelsea have, have been so dominant for such a long period of time in the De Bruxelles that in order to do that, you, you're always trying to strive to be better and better. And in doing that, you have to have, you know, a level of turnover of players. And obviously we, we saw that um, in the transfer window this summer. Um, I think there's a number of players that are that are still settling in. Um, me official, who looked fantastic against Tottenham. I think this was a a, a different proposition for her um, against a really top team against you know Manchester City. Who I actually think have arguably been the most impressive of the top four um, in the opening two games, especially when you consider everything that happened in this one. Um, and I also think Chelsea are still sort of dealing with this like World Cup hangover that <laughs> that we spoke about earlier that we might still be dealing with a little bit. Um, obviously, Sam Kerr had a tumultuous summer, really, with everything that happened with their injury and then playing through it and getting all the way through to the end of the competition, which, you know, frankly, a lot of people wouldn't have really expected from Australia. And I think quite clearly she came back to Chelsea not 100% fit. She was a few weeks behind in her pre-season just because she was still playing while a lot of these players were um, in, in pre-season camp with Chelsea. So I think obviously she came off the bench at half time. Uh, I don't think she looks quite fully fit match sharp yet. Frank Kirby, we know is a, is a fantastic player, but again has, has come off such a long injury again and is, is sort of having to play her way back to fitness because again, you don't have, the luxury of, of loads of pre-season games against really high-quality opposition or certainly not as high-quality as, as a team like Manchester City. So I think... And and then you have um, Zakira Musevic, who, who Emma Hayes seemingly has, has put forward as... I know she doesn't like the term number one goalkeeper, but, you know, she's starting at the moment. Um, so I think there's a lot of people that are bedding in, the connections that need to be made. And I think this is a Chelsea team that will improve as the season goes on. But obviously we know in a 12-team division, you don't have a, a huge amount of time to do that. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So Alessia Russo's return to Lee Sports Village was the big talking point on Friday night after her move from Manchester United to Arsenal, another of the title contenders, these two. Arsenal lost to Liverpool last time out, don't forget. Manchester United uh, beat Villa. It finished Manchester United 2, Arsenal 2, and it was a cracking game, wasn't it? Strong start for Arsenal, and uh, Stina Blackstenius raced down the left-hand side before skillfully slotting home their first goal after 14 minutes. United gifted an equaliser not long afterwards. I mean, hold your, hold your hands over your face, Sabrina D'Angelo, the Arsenal keeper, completely misjudging a clearance, giving Leah Galton a clear shot on goal. After half-time, it looked like it was going to be a real dream debut for Malvin Mallard as she put Manchester United ahead in the 81st minute. But Arsenal had one final trick up their sleeves. New signing Chloe Lacasse scoring a beaut of a shot in the 93rd minute to earn Arsenal their first point of the season. I mean, they they salvaged something out of the game in the end, uh, Molly. But given the way both teams had played, was it the least they deserved? Yeah, it was a, it was a strange game. I I was actually at this one. Um and I I I couldn't quite work either of them out. I think the thing I realized at the end of the game was actually that I haven't seen a single team in the Women's Super League this season that that look as though they can defend very well, if I'm honest. Um I think each of the top teams have weaknesses in that area whether it's their goalkeepers in the case of Arsenal, I mean, I also did Arsenal's opener against Liverpool um, and I can sort of see why Jonas Eideveld chose to to sort of rotate or drop or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Manuela Zinsberger, who, who hadn't been in the greatest of form, um, but Sabrina D'Angelo hasn't had a lot of game time, and I think it's it's really difficult to be thrown into a, a big game like that. She looked She looked rusty, she looked off the pace. And now he's in a, a difficult situation to to kind of have um, both of those goalkeepers really, <laughs> neither of which look particularly solid. Um, obviously, you don't want to be in a situation where you're sort of flip-flopping between the two. Um, uh, so it, it was a little bit strange because in that sense, it was a really big opportunity for Manchester United who had got that momentum from, from the opening game of the season against Aston Villa. They'd got the win there. It felt like this was really the moment to, to you know, prove that they should be beating Arsenal this season. They've, they've made some good signings uh, to replace the likes of Alessio Russo. But I think they also don't quite... Um, don't quite look up to speed at the moment. I think it was a really difficult evening for Hannah Blundell... Um, particularly for that Stina Blackstenius goal. I think United are also flailing slightly, having having lost Onabatia. Arguably, I think, is even bigger miss than, than Alessia Russo is for them. So I think it, it was an interesting game. And I think, obviously, um, Manchester United also have Champions League on the horizon this week too. Um, and obviously for a couple of weeks now with, with that two-legged tie. So I think it'll be really interesting to see kind of which team can just get some consistency because it felt like both teams in patches were very good, had some good players, but then also in, in areas looked like they were a little way off it. Yeah, do you know what? I wonder whether there's some kind of lead going on at Arsenal about um, rotating goalkeepers or, or whether Jonas Ardaval is looking at Mikel Arteta and saying, hmm, OK, that sounds interesting. I, I get it in terms of... Zinsberger's form but you know Sabrina D'Angelo really 
kind of made two really bad mistakes in that. And so I wonder if we'll see Zinsberger uh, back in goal. Russo didn't get on the score sheet again, but denied on a few occasions by Mary Earps, who obviously from England duty knows her game very, very well. But how important was her performance in that game for Arsenal? Because she was still at the heart of everything that was good, wasn't she? Yeah, it was it was quite um, unique. I know we've talked a lot on the show about the kind of developing fan culture in women's football now and Alessia Russo, it's very easy to see when she was on the ball. You didn't even need to see. You could have had your head in your laptop as I did for most of the game and you would hear it because she got booed every time she, she touched the ball. Um, I, I think she... The thing with Alessia Russo is we know she's not a striker that particularly makes lots and lots of runs in behind. She much prefers to to drop in deeper to get a foot on the ball and to play in others, and that's exactly what she did for the opening Manchester uh, the Arsenal goal. Sorry, um, and she kind of got the pre-assist for that one, um, picked the ball up and and laid it off um, to Steph Catley out wide, who who then got the assist. So I think. In a way, it was surprising that Manchester United didn't quite see that coming, considering that's exactly what you know she's done for them again and again. Um, uh, she she had some good chances. She she hit the post. There was a very good save um, from Mary Earps with with her boot in particular that looked like it was it was destined for the bottom corner. Um, I think again, she's another one that's still kind of learning, growing her surroundings at Arsenal. They've had a few new players coming in, including Lacasse, who obviously scored that um, incredible goal right at the end. Um, so I think it, it will take her a little bit of time to bed in. But at the moment, having seen what she did in the pre-qualifying, obviously, um, which Arsenal did end up exiting, I think there's some really positive signs there. And I think maybe the the bigger sort of question and eventually conundrum for Jonas Eidelberg, who who obviously signed um, a new deal last week, is is how he kind of mishmashes together, I suppose, um, the likes of Alessia Russo and and Beth Mead and Vivian Miedemar, who uh, obviously Beth Mead is slightly ahead in her recovery compared to Viv, but um, will be coming in and, and trying to fight their way into that front line. So I think, actually, when everyone is fit, that's that's a hugely, hugely competitive quality depth of of attacking options there yeah he's certainly going to earn his money isn't it for his uh, new long-term contract trying to juggle that conundrum that's for sure listen I know it's a really hard question at this stage Mal but you know having seen last season's top four in action against each other a a point apiece all round any more indication about who's going to be challenging for that title or still too early I think the the easy answer to say is is kind of what I've already suggested, which is that I don't think there's a clear front runner. I don't think there's a team that's absolutely complete and looks as though they're going to run away with it, which is fantastic for the league again. I think for me, if I if I had to sit here and pick one of the four, I think I would pick Manchester City because it, it was actually very interesting. You know, we talked about last season, Gareth Taylor's feet, uh, future what they would do to kind of close that gap um, to, to the top three ahead of them last season. And actually what they've done is is very little. They, they, they've they really chosen this uh, moniker of stability this this summer. They only um, obviously signed Jill Rawd, who, who has um, adapted really quickly. She, she looks a, a fantastic fit for them. Um, obviously, Gareth Taylor's got this one-year deal. 
Um, so I think they're a team that have, have had in a very difficult summer for all of the top teams because of just the sheer number of players that they didn't have in the clubs. Um, I think they've probably had the most stable of summer and I think that will help them in the opening weeks. And I also think, you know, how often do we do we talk about how difficult it is to balance Europe and to also balance the WSL and all the other competitions. And I think the fact that they're not in the Champions League and they knew they were not going to be in the Champions League will also favour them. I think Chelsea uh, Chelsea just find a way, don't they? We, we sit here and say every season, are, are they really playing the absolute best we've ever seen them? Probably not, but they just find a way to win. I think it'll be very interesting to see if Manchester United do end up progressing. Obviously, it's a, it's a very difficult tie um, against Paris Saint-Germain. But if they do, that's another unique task for them to balance Europe and, and the WSL, which they haven't had to do before. So for me, uh, early season promise, I, I think I'd have to go with Manchester City. Mm, interesting. I mean, we did think that it was going to be Aston Villa knocking on the door of the top four, didn't we? Not so at the moment, for sure. Maybe it's Liverpool and we've all completely bypassed Matt Beard's side because they were 2 nil winners over Aston Villa at the weekend. Another one of the teams top for a top four finish. They picked off off the back of that famous victory over Arsenal last week. New signing Marie Hobbinger kicking things off in the 21st minute. Villa fought hard for the equaliser. They did come close. Um, keeper Rachel Laws almost gifted Ebony Salmon an open goal but in the end it was Liverpool's day and they doubled their lead in the 77th minute with Natasha Flint finding the back of the net two wins from two for Matt Beer's side two defeats for Villa uh, Villa's next two fixtures are against Arsenal and Tottenham as well do we think Carla Wards will be getting a little bit worried or, to, or again too early? I think it's a little bit too early I think it's interesting actually um, listening to Carla Ward say look People have been talking about us as, as, as top four worthy and, and we're nowhere near it. I think, you know, it's not unreasonable to think that they could have been somewhere near that top four based on the strides they made last season where they obviously finished fifth. But then the players that they brought in in the transfer window, uh, window have been, on paper, very, very good signings. I think it will take a little while for, for them to settle in. But I also think... You know, Aston Villa were, were missing two really key players in this one. They were missing Kirsty Hansen, who obviously is serving that um, three-game suspension from her red card against Manchester United. They're also missing Kenza Darley, who we talked about a lot on the show last season, was really one of the maybe more underrated talents in the league that was so integral to, to Villa. She's been struggling with a knock that she brought back from, from World Cup duty with France. So I think it will it will take a little while for them to get up to speed, but I think they look they have to remember that they're not the finished product yet. I don't think we can expect Aston Villa to win every week. Uh, I understand in a way what what Wardy is saying. It's it's easy to kind of put a little bit of pressure on them just because they did well last season. But I think you know Arsenal they should still be looking at that Arsenal game as, as something they can get points from. You know I think Villa have shown they've got. Um, plenty going forward. Uh, I think their defence looked looked a little bit shaky um, against Liverpool, but that's exactly the area that Arsenal have really struggled in. So I think there's there's points available there. Um, they just kind of have to yeah. put to the side this this start, I suppose. Yeah, Liverpool, though, looked dominant throughout the match, both ends of the pitch, actually. It's been a really strong season uh, start for them. Uh, they've lacked a depth of squad in the past, uh, not so... 
uh, it feels at the moment, but how do they make sure they maintain this form? To be honest, I think speaking to, to Matt Beard after after the opening game against Arsenal, he was saying that they'd, they'd had like a mini COVID outbreak. They had a number mm. of players um, that had been injured. So they were actually at like pretty bare bones. I think they only had four. I outfield. think they only had five people on the bench. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Had fi- yeah, they had five players on the bench last week. Crazy. Um, so I think actually this is a, a Liverpool squad that can get better. Uh, it, it can certainly get stronger in terms of depth. But I just think Matt Beard has set them up so well. This back three um, looks so, so solid. Grace Fisk um, has looked really comfortable in there. Uh, Gemma Bonner, of course, a a familiar name to a lot of um, Women's Super League fans as well. Emma Coivisto at wing back looks fantastic. Hobinger looks a really, really um, good signing. Somebody that I didn't know a huge amount about before she came to the league, but has looked really, really good in both of these games. And I think what what they've done is they've been very clinical. I think if you look at the the stats in this one, the the shots, uh, corners, things like that, it it was quite even. But uh, Liverpool just took their chances, and I think that's what they've done in in both the games. And look, they're they're yet to even concede a goal this season, and against a a, a team like Arsenal and all of their attacking threats and a a Villa side spearheaded by Rachel Daly, that that's not bad going at all. Now, since the 2019-20 season, the WSL has been contested by 12 teams who play a total of 22 games each season. But Chelsea boss Emma Hayes has called for the league to be expanded to include 18 clubs. I asked Molly what that kind of expansion could mean for women's football in England. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one. I think speaking to um, some people at the FA just before the season started, I think arguably... They would say the biggest problem they have at the moment is the gap between the leagues. Um, uh, And I don't know whether maybe, you know, expanding could actually help that if there's a little bit more of a, I suppose, healthy promotion and relegation, um, maybe a couple more. Because, you know, look, if you expanded expanded the league to 18 teams, I suspect there'd probably be two two down and and two up. Um, So I think... In that sense, maybe it's not a huge issue, but I think you do have to be careful, particularly that jump from the Championship to the Women's Super League. I mean, it's not a million miles away where we had teams like Yeovil that could could compete on the pitch um, and win promotion to the Women's Super League, but but then swiftly sort of found out that their finances couldn't cope with that. I think when you you have teams, Chelsea, Arsenal, United, City at, at the top of the league... The budgets that they can have, I think you, you sort of need to be careful that you don't just turn it into a, a sort of Premier League Mark II because I think there's there are mm-hmm. teams probably like Newcastle who are obviously Newcastle United who are further down the pyramid but are, are rapidly advancing. Um, I believe they're actually professional now despite the fact that they're, they're still mm-hmm. in a semi-pro league down there. So I think there are teams... Burnley, that, Nottingham Forest as well. There's, there's a few of them, aren't there? Exactly. So there are those teams, but I also think you, you, you have to respect, you know, teams like Lewis, who who don't have that same backing, but have been competing well in the championship. So I think you have uh-huh. to be careful to not do what, what maybe it felt like we did in the past, which was which was lose some of these teams because we tried to go too quickly. I think maybe a jump from 12 to 18, if I'm honest, might be too big at the moment. I think maybe... Add, add two teams and see how you get on and then do it slowly in that way. And then you could slowly add in promotion and relegation as well. I think that might be the way to do it. I understand we, we all want to, to 
run, sprint, but, you know, let's let's make sure we're walking properly first. Emma Hayes is not the only manager who's been calling for change in the Barclays Women's Super League, though. Manchester City boss Gareth Taylor wants a reconsideration of the three-match ban handed to players who are given a straight red card. Taylor was speaking after Leila Ouabi was sent off during their WSL opener last week. Molly and I discussed the repercussions of these bans for players in such a short WSL season. Yeah, I think it is disproportionate and I think maybe going back to what what we discussed in part one, if, if, if there are going to be more red cards, if there are going to be more bookings just because of the way um, the, the kind of league is, is going to be um, officiated, then perhaps we do need to have a little bit more of a look at this because, look, how many times have we, we sat here and talked, Faye, about the fact that it's practically impossible to get a red card? Like it, it used to be a running joke. <laughs> no, no, nobody not ever anymore. Got sent off. Um, now, now we've gone too far the other way. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's difficult. I think maybe it should. You have to have an argument of kind of violent conduct should be more than just your your normal one game ban. But I suppose if if you give it two, is that enough to to differentiate between just a normal sending off and violent conduct. I think it's difficult, but I think it's one of those areas where you can't just take exactly what we do in the men's game and transfer it over because it just might not work um, because it's Mm. a different game. There's a different amount of teams. Um, And I think Matt Beard was talking about that in terms of the the extra time uh, on some of these games as well. You know, you've got smaller squads and players that aren't used to playing this many minutes. So I think you have to take all of that into account. Now, Tottenham had a torrid time of it last season, didn't they? Their lowest ever WSL finish. Spurs have had an encouraging start to this season, though. And under the management of new boss Robert Villaham, they picked up a 3-1 victory over Bristol City at the weekend after putting in an impressive performance in their opening defeat to Chelsea. TalkSport's Uma Garav sat down with Tottenham and Jamaica goalkeeper Becky Spencer to find out how life has been since Jamaica's historic World Cup run and what Spurs are hoping to achieve this season. With the new manager coming in, uh, it's been made pretty clear for us that obviously we want to do better than we did last year. Um, how that looks is, you know, performance-wise, and um, you know, he's brought a different style of play into our, you know, into our environment, which is something that we're all thriving off at the moment. So for us, I think um, it's about nailing down our side of play um, and giving everyone something to enjoy when they're when they're watching our games. And off the back of the World Cup, we've seen a lot of world-class talent come to the WSL. What do you think that kind of says about the state of the league at the moment? Yeah, um, you know, in my opinion, I think the WSL is the best league in the world. Um, you know, there's just so much, you know, there's just so many traits to it that a lot of leagues don't have. You know, you've got to be technically very good. You've got to have a physicality. You know, you've got to have, tacti- you know, got to have a very good tactical brain as well. And I think, you know, with, with the, you know, stature of players that are coming to the WSL, it just shows, you know, it's not just happened by accident. This has been year on year. And um, obviously this season as well, we're signing numerous players into the league that have, you know, shone on the world stage. So it can only be, you know, better for, you know, for us that are playing in it and, you know, competing for, you know, in that league and, you know, for the fans watching, it's, it's, it's excellent. And going back to the World Cup, obviously your story was remarkable. Can you tell me a bit about that experience and what it meant to you? Yeah, uh, it was an amazing experience. Um, you know, it seems it does seem quite long ago now, um, but we've only been back for maybe five, six weeks. So, it's, you know, it's not too far away. But, you know, the whole, 
yeah, from start to finish, it was an amazing tournament for us. And to be in such a culture and to be with so many strong uh, independent women um, in the Jamaica side that we're all just fighting to do the same thing. And we all had kind of the same beliefs and the same kind of almost like characteristics in terms of what we wanted to achieve out there. Um, and obviously in our group, which was a really, really tough group, we wanted to to ensure that we got out of that group and we had that self-belief within us that we could do that, you know, amongst all the challenges that we also face um, with our federation. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a great, it was a great uh, achievement for us. And obviously going back to Jamaica last month, you know, we kind of felt the love in Jamaica and, and being able to play against Canada. Obviously the, the performance in Canada uh, against Canada wasn't great, but um, we was able to go back and, and celebrate almost our achievements in, in the World Cup. And there's been a lot of criticism about the short gap between the end of the World Cup and the WSL starting again. How have you found that on a personal level? Yeah, it's been really, really tough. Um, I think coming off the back of the World Cup when I came home, I really found it hard to gel back into normal life again. Um, Obviously, you're in a bubble out there for a number of weeks and physically and mentally it takes its toll. And I don't think a lot of people really speak about how it feels to come home and try and socialise or be with your family. Obviously, they're the one, you know, that you want to come back to be with your family and spend time. And obviously, they're all proud of you. But, you know, I really struggled just to even socialise with them. And I just felt like I needed to be on my own for a good while. And um, and all the people that I wanted to speak to were the Jamaica girls. Like, I could have normal conversations with them without, you know, any trouble. But speaking to friends outside of the football world or family was a real struggle for me. And then, obviously, after about two weeks, I was back into club football again. And that was also a struggle because it was, you know, you want to go back. Obviously, you're excited to go back, see your teammates. You've got a new environment. Um, But, you know, physically, it does take its toll. And and like I said, mentally, for sure, it was something that most players I know would have experienced coming off the back of that. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, you can listen back to the full Talk Sports Women's Football Show via the TalkSport app. This week, we're on on Monday at 7pm. So just swipe for TalkSport 2, find Monday, and then you can listen in full then. Make sure you're tuned in to TalkSport 2 on Saturday night because we're going to bring you live coverage from the WSL as Chelsea host West Ham. Joe Shannon and Courtney Sweetman-Kirk will have commentary on that from 5.30pm. We'll also bring you updates from the rest of the weekend's WSL action on the Sunday session with Sam Matterface and Perry Groves. We'll be back next Monday when we'll round up all that WSL action as well as look back on Manchester United's first ever Champions League match against PSG. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.